I care about leader health. Health has been the thing that I, I went to, you know, I was pre-med. I thought about becoming a doctor. I've always loved health. And I, you know, it was Dan Hayes that used to say, well, he didn't become a physical physician, but he became, became a spiritual surgeon. That's kind of how I see my time on staff is to be a spiritual surgeon. I love the health part of it. I love organizational health. So anywhere I can speak on the topic, I do it. It doesn't get old for me um, because I do believe this might be one of those messages that will have the greatest leverage for an organization like Crew for the Future. Welcome to Listener. I'm your host, Sam Holland. Today's episode is part two of Leaders at Risk with Mark Rutter. If you're crew staff, don't forget to visit us in the Listener Podcast group on Workplace. We'd love your feedback as well as your ideas for future episodes. Enjoy the show. Mark, I heard you speak at IBS last year, and you were sharing these these types of spiritual practices. Um but specifically, you mentioned some questions that at that time you were asking yourself at the end of the day, and it sounded a little bit like the prayer of examine, sort of a check-in. I wondered if you could share more about that or just other tools that you're using, even on a daily basis, to check in with God and yourself. Yeah, I think um, one of the th- a couple questions I ask myself, if not daily, at least once a week that go back to the way God's designed us. It's just a reminder. The one question is, um, where am I getting life from today? And that question could be answered in a number of ways. It could be, I'm eating too much food. Or, you know, I'm, you know, it could be, I mean, sex issues, fantasy. It could be lust. It could be overwork. It could be, you know, you name it. People fill in the gap with life is things that are contrary to, to God and the way he's really designed us. If it doesn't include good relationships and the Lord and the things that he, he wants us to crave, that would be a, a, maybe a red flag. It would be something I'd want to pay attention to. The other one is, how am I dealing with truth and reality? In other words, am I, how am I dealing with truth and reality? Am I able to um, take feedback I'll think to myself, what feedback did I get this week and what happened to me? And I'll tell you, I... I'm really, um, I'm really, I really have to watch it because it's really easy for me to kind of say, well, explain it away, feedback. And especially now when we're talking about ethnicity, oneness, diversity, it's really easy as a leader to say, well, I'm not racist or prejudiced or whatever, but it's not, it, it, it doesn't matter how I feel about it. It's how people might experience me. And so when you get feedback, how are you explaining it away or are you taking it in? So, so how do I deal with truth and reality? That would be an example. Another one is, um, am I able to forgive? Am I able to forgive? Do I, do I apologize when I've done something wrong? Because what that gets at is your ability to internalize the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Like if I can't forgive someone, that probably means I'm not experiencing a lot of forgiveness. That probably means I'm not experiencing the gospel, the very gospel that we seek to preach and crew, I may not be experiencing it. Another question I ask um, is the question is, am I able to submit and defer? Am I able to submit to God and worship him freely? And then am I able to defer to other people and respect other people? In what ways am I respecting people? In what ways am I demanding my way? And then also, am I able to kind of submit to God and the way he's designed life? 
Um, am I protesting life? So, so those go back to that created order piece, you know, the piece of life, um, truth, and the issue of power and control. You know, so, and Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He basically says he fulfills all those things. So I ask myself when I'm done, I don't shame myself, but I say, Jesus, thank you that you're the way. You know, you're the way. You're king. You're the truth. You're the prophet. You're the one who tells me reality. And you're also life. You're the priest. And by actually rehearsing that in my heart and mind, it's a pretty powerful way of reminding myself of my design. Now, I don't fulfill it perfectly, never will, okay? Jesus has, and I relish that fact, but it does help me to keep anchored in some basic things. So that's one practice I do that's really helpful. And the other thing I do, and this is not meant to be, for those of you who don't like journaling, you know, I'm not saying you've got to be like me and journal, but one thing I do is I, I do a um, practice where every morning I ask myself some of those questions, but I reflect on what did I do yesterday? Um, what, am I, what was one lesson I learned from yesterday? And then I, write, I ask myself, then today, what am I thankful for? And then another thing I ask myself is, what am I feeling? Because I want to get connected to what's going on internally. Because when I come to work and people say, Mark, how are you doing? I don't want to just say fine. I want to be able to say, you know, today I'm actually anxious. I, I want to let people know more about who I am because as you disclose yourself, you actually get grace. You get grace, you might get truth. And then the last thing I do is I, um, I say, what am I reading today? You know, from, this, from the scriptures, what have I learned from the scriptures? And then at the end of the day, I kind of review what went well today and what lesson did I, what lesson did I apply the lessons I've learned? So that's kind of a, a helpful practice. And if people want that, they can email me um, a template for those kinds of questions. But I, for me, it's been helpful because, it's, it, again, Sam, it's a practice of slowing down. Uh, leaders have to slow down and hit the pause button and actually take time to connect with the Lord and get connected with themselves and then obviously to be able to connect with others. That's really helpful. Especially when I've heard you mention feedback, the importance of feedback several times and how we receive feedback from other people. And you even specifically mentioned the feedback that we're getting within and outside of crew uh, regarding racial and ethnic realities that we're trying to come to terms with with our friends and colleagues who are people of color. And I wondered if you could talk about, um, well, it sometimes it's hard to get feedback, like you said, that um, some of us are not culturally competent, that we are, that something we say and do is, not sensitive, not loving, not listening, not, um, but I think that feedback is so important for us to hear, but why, why is that particular feedback so hard for some of us to hear? Well, I mean, I would, yeah, and I would say, um, it's been a journey for me. I, I grew up thinking that I, was wise culturally and race and understood uh, ethnicity and oneness because I grew up in California. Okay, I grew up in California. I grew up primarily the the, the uh, Mexican American side of town, 
and went to a Mexican-American church. And so I thought, wow, I really understand ethnicity, right? And so, but I think the reality is uh, it's hard for us because we like to pride ourselves thinking we aren't as bad as we are, or we, we don't have the market on truth and reality and experience. And um, it's really easy over time to think that you have to, it all depends on you, that you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect culturally. You have to understand everything. And, and, and no one's asking us to be perfect, you know, <laughs> have a perfect understanding. They're just asking us to be honest about what we know and don't know. And I think the ability to take feedback, whether it's on that issue or other issues, has to do with a lot with whether or not I'm experiencing the gospel. I, I have nothing really to lose by having a posture of being a learner. And so God has really gifted me with, you know, like Gwen and Daryl Smith, um, you know, I, I office with them. And, and we have, I mean, I've just basically realized, you know, all these years when I, if I had it figured out, I realize now I don't have it all figured out. Not only that, I just had a very skewed understanding of history. And by going to the Civil Rights Museum and actually starting to listen more, like you talked about earlier, um, I have just realized, wow, all these years, you know, a lot of years on staff, a lot of years as a believer, I just had a very, um, a not a very good education historically. And so I'm having to relearn some things. It's, it's hard because learning is hard. Um, then there's the pride part of it because who wants to admit they don't know it all? And I, you know, I grew up as a, a, a high-achieving student in school. And so, so anything less than an A for me was failure. And I think the journey we're on right now means we got to stop and take the time to learn. And it's not over. It's not going to be over. It's not like, oh, let's get it over until we have Crew 19, right? Or the next, in other words, this posture is going to have to be a lifetime of learning. And uh, because the gospel's at stake, it's not really, it's, it's the gospel and the value of people and respect for people that's really at stake. So I think a lot of it has to do with our pride, um, you know, and, and a lot of it is, is we just, learning is hard. And, we, and, I, and I think the discipline of learning for leaders is really critical. Sometimes you have to read some books. Sometimes you have to go watch a movie and debrief it. I was talking to Daryl the other day about a movie clip I was watching, and I brought him in to say, can you explain this to me? I mean, I thought I already had it figured out. He explained, he took it to a whole nother level of understanding, hmm. but it took time to do that. So I think time is, you know, we, we, we don't make time for things like that to learn. Yeah, do you think that some of it is, to use a Henry Cloud term, good, bad, split? I mean, even talking about moral failure, I don't want to minimize sin and its effect on our life, but even the word failure feels like, you're past the point of no return. There's no hope for you left as a human being or as a Christ follower, as a leader. Um, but with the question of, of race and the history, the history of racial racialization in our country, I think what I've heard from some people is they feel like if they admit that there's been any kind of misunderstanding or oversight or blindness to these issues, that they are guilty failure. But I don't feel like that is what's being 
asked, I feel like what's, what's being asked is to listen, to understand, and to really look at life through someone else's perspective. Right. Oh, that's such a, you, you put it so well. I, I, you know, it's sad to me to think that that's really the issue at stake. And a lot of it is because feeling like I missed the mark or failed is what we fight all our lives. That's why we have the gospel. The gospel says, look, admit it, come to me, there's forgiveness. I, I would hate to think that whether it's leaders at risk, a leadership failure, or even avoiding this subject, um, that people are so, that, that the end of the story is shame. It's actually not shame. You know, the, the, the leaders who I've seen come out of, quote, failure, are the people that are the best proponents and advocates for the gospel today because they're experiencing forgiveness at a whole new level. I think this journey that we're on with ethnicity and oneness and learning is one of, we're actually going to experience incredible joy, the joy that comes from actually experiencing the gospel at a new level. And if the, if the end product is shame or condemnation, then we're on the, that's, that's not the narrative that we're talking about here. And so that needs to be, people need to just talk about it and say, you know, why would I feel shame here? Why would I, why would I be afraid to do this because I don't want to be a failure? I think for, I think for me, and I, I know on the pride side, I, I want to, as a leader development person, as a leader and crew, I wanted to be able to say, hey, I've got cultural competencies all figured out. And I realized, uh, you know, it's kind of embarrassing to know that I'm missing a lot of things, but that's, that's my issue. You know, I don't put that on you know, Daryl or Gwen or any of my friends that are saying, hey, Mark, you need to pay attention to this. I actually have to own that myself and say, hey, it's not the end of the world, but I have something to learn here. My kids get it better. My adult kids understand some of these issues better than I do. And it's humiliating, you know, for me to have to listen to my kids tell me, dad, you're a leader and crew. Do you not know this? And, and, but I'm realizing you're right. I don't know it. And I'm not, I'm not finished with that journey. But if, if I'm starting to trigger shame and condemnation, then probably for me, I need to just admit it and say, you know, I feel kind of ashamed here. And then let someone talk it through with me. But, but we're going to experience more senses of failure, but we need to know how to deal with it without going, losing, splitting, the good-bad split. So mm-hmm. I, mean, I think we have an opportunity to really test what we really believe about the gospel in this moment. And, and God's not, God's not, he's not like worried. I mean, but we have to really recognize that God's in control and we're on a great journey. Yeah, I think that's so true. And for me, it's very uncomfortable for me to just live in a process every day and know that sort of, it's so cliche, but it's about the journey. And I want everything to be tied up with a bow. I want someone to tell me all the information and then I will know it all and then I will go on with my life. And that's just not, that's just not how it is. (laughs) And it's uncomfortable for me. Yeah, the messiness is really uncomfortable, but we have to live in the messiness. But that's, that is so much where the gospel's at. And um, I'm not saying I love Love, love, love being getting feedback and, and being confronted with the reality. Um, I, I, people have used, you know, I've used the word before. I grew up kind of as a blame shifter, and st- still people kind of say, Are you blame shifting? And I think, Yeah, sometimes I am, but for the most part, I'm trying to get to the point now where I actually can own some of those realities. But it's, it's a messy process, but God's, you know, the gospel's for messy. It's, it's about living in messiness, but having a great savior and, and also. You know, we're, we're not just living for the proclamation piece, but we're living for the reality of justice and mercy and love and, 
and all those kinds of things that are part products of the gospel. Mark, has there been a time, just circling back to leaders at risk in particular, has there been a time when someone communicated to you, Mark, thanks so much for speaking on leaders at risk. It saved me from going down a dark path. Yeah, I I don't know if it's simply just because I gave a talk, but people have come to me and invited, um, wanted to talk more. And I can tell in the talking more part that we were able to go deeper on some issues. The sad thing to me is that most people that hear that talk have a tendency to think, well, I know someone like that. And they want to put it on someone else. And I'm thinking, well, first of all, you look under your own hood of your own life, and then you can be concerned about other people. Now, having said that, I would say also that the organizational vigilance is really, really important to this. But I've had people come back and want to go deeper. And so I'd help them with the practices, you know, because it's one thing to hear the talk. It's another thing to actually do the, the practices, the work of looking at your tapes, getting in a process group, looking at your family of origin where stuff kind of triggers some of this stuff. Um, I feel like obviously there's something good coming out of it because I do hear good stories of people that are in a good place, but these are not the perfect people. The cool thing, it's the people that you probably would say we should have disqualified them as a leader. <laughs> and the reality is is that um, we, we, are, we are not tolerating of sin. We actually, though, are very, very, um, when someone's able to admit I have a problem, crew and in our leadership development culture, we really want to come alongside people and help them through that. So I think that's the people that are enjoying some of the the joy of kind of the the fruits of maybe that talk or that subject more because I think our organization is changed to actually be more aware, but then also be um, more willing to come alongside someone who's struggling and help them through the process of getting healthier. Now, we're not a hospital. We're a mission. I, I mean, I hear that language. Um, we, we, but we care for people. We care for the soldiers. We care for the missionary. And how we actually are cared for and how we actually come through our own sin is actually what's going to propel us to be incredible missionaries. I mean, my gospel, my, my love for sharing Christ has grown so much more because of my own journey of failure, my own failures, my own kind of understand my own sin. Because when you get in touch with your sin and how great a salvation we have, you, you want to tell people about Christ. And I think for crew, this is the time to actually um, do the under the hood work, get in touch with your, your own realities, help your team to get healthier, but also recognize the fruit of it is really a new experience of the gospel. And that's what I want people to get. Not, don't be afraid of the, the at-risk issues and don't get alarmed that you find people out there that are have, have issues but um, but use it as a chance to get to know the gospel. And uh, one other thing I'd say, Sam, um, you had mentioned to me before about, um, you know, what's in the papers, the media, with leader failure, and, and you know, it, it, you can't escape that. But here's one thing I would say to those listening. I'm, I'm not surprised um, when leaders fail. Um, it shouldn't come as a surprise, okay? What really bothers me is when the people around them who are with them aren't picking up on the red flags. 
Now, I wouldn't know if someone's going to have an affair necessarily, but I can tell you by watching people's lives that there's usually trigger red flags, behaviors that come as you watch them do life and ministry. It could be they power over people, they feel entitled, they're manipulative. It's all those red flags we talked about before. When Those are the things you got to address with people. I can't go and say, hey, I think you're having an affair. You can go and say, you know, I experience you as being someone who just powers over people or someone who's manipulating. And, and then you can check the response. So if you have a healthy person, they'll say, gosh, yeah, I didn't even realize I was being entitled or I didn't even realize how manipulative I was. Then you got someone who's really going to grow. But if you get someone who says, hey, you got the wrong person, you know, you should look at your own life, then you realize at that point you probably have someone who's probably hiding. And that's when you have to say, uh, this is too important for me to just kind of walk away from this conversation. That's when the organization might have to take more responsibility. Yeah. I'm glad you circled back to, to the media because I think you've touched a little bit on restoration of, you know, a leader who has had some sort of failure in their life. And you don't see that piece in the media, the restoration piece. It's more of a total crucifixion. And then they are outcast. And I think that's hard, especially today when, um, with Me Too and a lot of the things that come out are um, between women and a, a man who is in a position of power and seems to have abused it. And uh, there's a real movement to, to listen to women, to not silence them, to, to advocate for victims. And it can feel like extending grace to, to a man in that kind of a situation is not the right thing. And I wondered, what, what do you think about that in, in light of the gospel? Yeah, I think uh, well, it's such a good question or good thought. I, you, don't, you always want to give grace and truth together. We, we want to be careful. I, I don't look for someone who's been caught in something or when there's accusations, I don't look for instant repentance um, because people that are um, at risk or people that are abusing power typically don't have an epiphany right then and there when they're caught. They typically, because if they, if they did, they probably wouldn't be doing the behaviors. So I don't look for instant repentance. So when people says, well, he didn't repent, I probably would say I would have over time, I would expect there to be some growth and some, some acknowledgement of the issues. It doesn't help to go after the person to shame them and attack them. But I also understand with injustice, you feel pretty ticked off, okay? And so I understand the heat behind that. And I wouldn't want to minimize the pain others experience to a leader's failure. But I would say that, that um, it's, I don't, I, I, I come in with understanding when I've dealt with a person who's fallen. Um, I always try to listen to the story. Um, I don't expect instant repentance, but we tend to, I tend to want to move them down a path of growth. And if they're willing to take the steps to, to be in a structured environment to grow, then we can work with them and then you give them grace. If they're not, then you have to force more of a crisis. And that's where it might feel like it's, you know, it's, it's being ungracious, but the reality is you kind of have to 
you know, help people understand that there's consequences of the sin. So there's a delicate balance. Um, but actually, someone who really gets the grief of their sin, they start feeling empathy for the victim. They start feeling empathy for the family that they've broken up or whatever it might be. And that is really where real repentance comes from. But people that have so boxed their heart off from, from the, the consequence of the sin, that's why, that's why we live in sin is because we don't feel deeply the pain. And so we don't forgive well. We don't ask for forgiveness. So, um, I mean, I would encourage people to be both gracious and truthful. And, and I think organizations, whether it's the church or crew or whatever, we actually, we actually can, should provide some structure for there to be some restoration along the way. Now, honestly, that doesn't mean you keep someone in a leadership role. I mean, there's other issues, and I don't want to be on record here saying Rudder's loose on all this because I'm not. I would just say it's better to start your foot off with giving people some time and put them in a process, and then you check to see are they responding? Are they responding to the process? If they're not, then you say, look, you know, we're not going to work harder than you are on your restoration. So it's time to, you know, cut out, cut it out right now or whatever you might say and the, the journey with them at that point. So it's a delicate kind of issue, but you ask a good question. I don't think I have all the answers to it. Hmm. Well, that's why I called you here today because I thought you had all the answers. Oh, so. that's sad. You're Sorry fired. to disappoint. <laughs> No, it's been really helpful. I'm just wondering, where are you sharing leaders at risk these days? What, where, where are you sharing it with staff? How can staff access all the different topics that you've touched on today? And you mentioned you're writing a book. Is that okay to talk about? Well, maybe just makes me feel, if there's shame and guilt, that's the topic for me. <laughs> it's like it's I, accountability. This is where I've asked other people to kind of come alongside and help me um, because I have great material, tons of material, and because I did my thesis on it. So my thesis was written so that I could use it to kind of pull the book together. Um, so, so there are some articles that are written, and um, my assistant is helping me put that together so people can have more access to it. So that's maybe this podcast will actually probably expedite that even more now because, um, because it becomes more public. But I, I speak on this a lot in, in different leadership circles. So my, my desire is for leadership teams to actually get it. And I do it some team leader training still. I'm asked to do it. I think there's some videos on it. Um, I, Someone asked me the other day, hey, I know you do this leaders at risk thing. Is it, have you contemporized it more? Have you brought it out to, and I'm thinking, that's the same, it's the same issues that we were seeing years ago, only they can become more, kind of a little bit more, um, I don't know, can be more shocking um, because of the access to media, internet, and technology. But um, the same principles are there. So I, 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 I would just say that I do have some articles. I mean, she, my, my assistant's working on a, uh, you know, a, a website, blog site for me, and that's, you know, that's in the works. And then the book stuff should be coming out eventually. I mean, pray for me. <laughs> pray for me because, you know, I, I'm, I'm very – I do care about this. I care about leader health. Health has been the thing that I, I went to – you know, I was pre-med. I thought about becoming a doctor – I've always loved health, 
And I, you know, it was Dan Hayes that used to say, well, he didn't become a physical physician, but he became, became a spiritual surgeon. That's kind of how I see my time on staff is to be a spiritual surgeon. I love the health part of it. I love organizational health. So anywhere I can speak on the topic, I do it. It doesn't get old for me um, because I do believe this might be one of those messages that will have the greatest leverage for an organization like Crew for the Future. Um, because my, my point is this. Ephesians 4 is all about not your personal, just your personal sanctification. It's about the body of Christ, organizational vigilance. And the more, you, the, the more that we can actually be um, aware of each other and how we're doing and speak into that, that's where the growth comes from. So I'll try to get some resources out there as a result what of you asking sp- the question. Yeah, what are you specifically thinking of from Ephesians 4 when you mention Ephesians 4? Well, it, people focus a lot on speaking the truth in love, that part of it. But when you think of Ephesians 4, it talks about this beautiful picture of the body of Christ where every ligament is connected and it's supporting one another. Um, the, one of the editors, when I was talking about my book, an editor was asking me, it sounds like what you're asking for is for people to police one another. I said, no, it's not about policing. It's about doing what the body of Christ was designed to do is to look out for each other so that every piece supports one another. And so it's not an issue. We're not here to be police. You know, in, in the Bible says we, we are to actually judge one another. We're to praise one another. We don't judge non-believers, but we actually praise one another. And I think what I'm looking for is for us to be, we care enough about each other to say, hey, I just noticed that you're you're drifting, or I noticed that you're struggling with this. Let's talk about it. To me, that's what's really kind of at stake here. Mm-hmm. Mark, have you seen the number of leader failures go down since you've created this more robust leaders at risk curriculum? Um, I would say crew, since the time we started doing this, we, we stopped a couple of things that I think are very helpful. One thing is, and one of our profiles was people that kind of tend to be at risk can tend to float through the organization. So we, in, in part of our, when people make a move from one ministry to the next, we actually, their data has to follow them. We, we try not to have, we, you know, because we all put up our best kind of appearance here. And so what we want to do is have truthful kind of feedback that follows somebody. So that's helped. That's helped people who might, and I'm not saying at risk, okay, but might have had some character issues. We don't just let them move away from where they're at when, in fact, they probably, you know, people that are receiving them should understand, hey, there's some things here that this person needs to work on. That has helped us. That's been a a big shift. I think in doing this, what I found is, I don't know if it's brought down the numbers, but it's brought out awareness early on in the process. So let's say I have someone in our ministry that continues to kind of, I don't like to use the word toxic as much. I know that's words used a lot in leadership circles because the label itself doesn't always help. It, it helps to be more specific about, well, you're a controller or you're someone, so but to say someone's toxic doesn't really help. So what I, what I do is um, in talking about this, people come to me and say, hey, I'm experiencing someone I think is very controlling. 
And so it gives us a kind of a little bit of an alert when people come and say, hey, what do I do about it? Then I can say, here's how you have a conversation with someone like that, but you're going to have to take someone with you because a controlling person or someone who's a narcissist, you don't really have much of a conversation with because they, that's a, the profile is very difficult to deal with. So I think what's happened is it brought more people out who are trying to be more vigilant and they're more aware. So in that respect, I think it could be Uh, It's definitely more than we've seen in the past. I have more leaders who actually think about the character of their teams and of other leaders, so I think we're much more vigilant. That's what's helped. So I would say that's going to have a good effect like it does in the body of Christ. And I would say, you know, what you read in the newspapers about people, in hindsight, I would say along the way, those leaders, either people weren't picking up on the red flags or they were picking up on them and maybe confronting and they were letting the person squirm away from any kind of accountability or change. So um, the correlation, I haven't done a study on the correlation, but I would just say that our teams of people that deal with the leader issues, they're much more equipped now than they were before. So we don't let things just bump up to the top. Steve Douglas shouldn't be dealing with all this stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. we're trying to, Mm -hmm. at the local level, it's really where you want to put a lot of your energy towards dealing with this stuff when it's first surfacing. It's better to have it done there than come to Mark Rudder, and Mark Rudder will solve your problems. I mean, I can help coach you through something, but man, when you see it happening with your family, your friends, or your team, that's the time to actually address it. It's better to take a risk to go after someone who might be at risk than to think, ah, uh, someone else will take care of it or think maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. All the people I interviewed who knew the people that failed said, I really saw, the, I saw these red flags, but I didn't say anything. That's one of the big takeaways is that your gut with people is probably usually pretty accurate. So it's better to take a risk with someone and say, this is what I'm experiencing with you, and see their response. A healthy person is going to say, wow, I didn't, is that, is that how I'm coming across? Someone who's not healthy will really push back. So we're seeing more people take risk. That's good. Well, Mark, I'm so grateful for all this work that you do. And Darren and I have learned so much from you over the years and continue to learn from you. So I'm excited for more staff to get exposed to this work that you're doing. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you, Sam. It's been fun being Mm -hmm. with you.